Hi, I'm Greg. And I'm Leanne. Welcome, Welcome to, to the Empowered Poly Podcast, where we give you the tools to help you feel more empowered in your polyamorous and consensually non-monogamous relationships by sharing what we've learned as relationship coaches and as individuals. Empowered Poly is LGBTQ2IA+, alternative lifestyle, and kink-friendly. Thank you for joining us. And enjoy, enjoy the, the show. show. Hi, and welcome to episode 23, Grieving Monogamy. So grieving monogamy can happen to anybody in a polyamorous relationship when transitioning out of monogamy. And it can happen for the person who's choosing monogamy and staying in a polyamorous relationship or the person who is choosing or identifying as polyamorous and coming out to their partner. Mm-hmm. For both people, it can be kind of eh, a, a challenging time. And often we don't talk about this part of the process. So that's what today is about. And um, we're going to cover the, the points that a lot of people experience or that we've experienced ourselves um, when grieving monogamy, and then maybe some self-care ideas at the end. All right. So Greg. Mm-hmm. Hi. Hi. Tell me about uh, what it was like for you when you transitioned out of monogamy into polyamory and what you grieved. Yeah, that was uh, so that was 16, 17 years ago now. And I think that the biggest thing that I grieved was this idea or perceived idea of security and safety. Because mm. I think monogamy offered me that sort of kind of blinders on approach to relationships, right? Um, and I say perceived or assumed because, frankly, there is no such thing as security and safety in any relationship or connection. What? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the, the perceived idea that, that, that I'm safer in a monogamous relationship or I'm more secure with myself in a monogamous relationship. Turns out I wasn't mm. um, even more secure with myself. I was actually less secure with myself. I find myself way more secure with who I am as an individual now that, you know, since I've been on my poly journey. And it doesn't mean it's been easy, but it does mean that that there's definitely an element of security there for me that wasn't there before. Sorry, you're that saying process. that Polly was more secure for you? Yeah. Okay. But you yeah. thought you were more secure as a monogamous person or yes, you had that sense yeah. of safety. Okay. That perception of safety, right? Yeah. Because that was the programming, right? You know? Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, I thought I didn't have to th- deal with things like jealousy or fights because we were solid, but turns out the relationships I was in, they weren't solid. And I still had issues of jealousy. I still had issues of, of insecurity, like massive amounts of insecurity. I just wasn't aware of them Mm. or I wasn't, I wasn't used to sort of moving the furniture around enough to be able to see them for what they were. And so I was grieving that process or what I thought were those perceptions. Yeah. How about you? Same kind of thing, but then maybe a more, uh, there's two, two elements for me. There's a physical element. So um, most recently when, when we, we had a period of monogamy, you and I, and when we transitioned back to polyamory from monogamy, um, I had to kind of let go of what I had felt kept me secure and safe. Some of that was physical. I've always been, um, 
comfortable talking about STIs and sexual health. And that's why I do what I do. And I'm a, you know, a sex coach as well as a relationship coach, but um, the STIs are still concerning, even though they're treatable. And so I have been mindful of that throughout the majority of my sexual life, certainly since, um, you know, I've been in relationships long-term. And so <laughs> stepping out of that, and I've had two long-term monogamous marriages, right? I got very used to that idea of exclusivity in that physical sense, being a safety net for my physical self, right? I'm not going to be exposed to anything that I don't want, right? And when COVID happened, that, that went through the roof for me. So it was a challenge navigating dating through COVID. Um, you in particular dating through COVID <laughs> took me a while to catch up, but you know, I was actually a monogamous partner to you for some of that time. And I did feel like I was at risk. And then there's the emotional component that you were talking about on top of that. And we know statistically that uh, monogamy does not offer security in a, in a society where we have a 50 or 40% divorce rate. So, you know, it's, it's true that we don't actually have security and that people are um, unfaithful. I was unfaithful. You were unfaithful, you know, while we were in these monogamous relationships. And so what is there really a security, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Which actually leads to the next, next point is the exclusivity idea. Mm. Right. 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 Yes. You know, grieving, grieving the idea that we, as individuals are the only source of intimacy for our partners. Mm-hmm. Right? All kinds of intimacy. You've mentioned this several times, and I know that I struggle with this. And I want to I circle back just for a second to what I said earlier about being more secure in a poly relationship as opposed to a mono relationship. That realization is relatively new for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I say that is because I feel more authentic this way, right? Right. I feel more empowered in my connections and my relationships now that I understand that I am non-monogamous in my core, in my being, in my in, in my essence, right? Mm, yeah. Um, and up until up until recently, I had always kind of struggled, and I still do, but it's not always there anymore but I still struggle with that idea of the mononormative programming. And there's, so there's little tiny deaths that happen, mm-hmm. right? And I'm grieving those little tiny deaths along the way. A lot of those, most of those for me are emotional. Yeah. Right. And I wonder if that's somewhat gender specific too, because I don't think about the risks, the physical risks as much as say somebody who identifies as female would. Right just from a purely sort of um, safety standpoint, <laughs> going out on dates and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. So there's an element of physical safety, not just the STI related stuff, but mm-hmm. the element of physical protection that monogamy can provide yes. to those that feel the need for that, right? And so I think that's really important too, to understand that poly or non-monogamy opens that up because yeah. you're now engaging in relationships with people that are very different than the ones that you would have engaged in monogamously, right? 
I'm just going to speak to that for a second, because that's a, that's a really good point. The physical safety is one element that women or femme presenting people really have to address, right? Mm -hmm. Where are we meeting? Am I choosing the location? Am I using my own vehicle? Do I have a person who knows where I am on the planet? (laughs) You know, that I can check Mm -hmm. in with periodically. I do all of that. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, um, following up, from that, uh, what is my intention going in? Do I intend to go to a different location with them or not? Um, having those boundaries be clear upfront, uh, mm-hmm. not being kind of wishy-washy with yourself about them either. Even if you're super attracted to somebody, maybe the first time you meet them isn't the time to put yourself into a secondary location with them because, right. you know, we're trying to gather information as quickly as possible, as efficiently as possible when we're first dating as femme presenting people to know how safe we are physically. Men think about, I'm going to be rejected on this date and that's the worst thing that can happen. Women think about, I could be killed on this date and that's the worst thing that can happen, right? (laughs) And it's such a completely different experience, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And just to be clear, I put in those safety measures with the check-in every hour texting kind of thing for myself. It wasn't something that any partner asked me to do. It was something that I wanted because I have been sexually assaulted on dates and first dates and in a public mm-hmm. place. And so, um, I mean, the, the second assault was on a second date. I make different mm-hmm. choices now. I make much more informed choices now. And when people come online and they're asking advice and I'm giving it to them and they're asking things like, how long should you wait before you, you know, you do have to trust your instincts. You do have to trust your gut. And sometimes you'll get it right. Unfortunately, we can't always know. So it's always a roll of the dice. And when you said that just now, it brought up a lot of stuff for me because I am a survivor and I do feel there was a huge comfort in knowing I never had to do that again. So moving into polyamory felt like a roll of the dice with my life on a regular basis, right? Not only that, but things happened online where I was stalked or harassed Mm or threatened. So, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. typically that's not happening to men and they don't really get that experience, right? Yeah, there's a, there's a very, I mean, I can't speak for all men, but I can speak for myself and at least the, the stories of the men that, that, that I've heard mm-hmm. in that there is a very different sense to that in terms of, of, of what we see as safety issues and what femme presenting people see as safety issues. Sure. So the other thing too, that I want to acknowledge is, is that you, anybody who's listening might be, you might be, um, uh, masculine presenting, and you also might be somewhere else on the sexual spectrum, mm-hmm. the sexuality spectrum that's not hetero. And so mm-hmm. those people, in my experience as well, or like at least the, not my personal experience, but in the experiences I've heard, have also had to be mindful vigil- and careful and vigilant, more yep. vigilant um, about you know that because of yeah. you know. Good yeah. Point. So I just want to make sure that people are aware that when we say safety, and I know we kind of maybe a little tangent here, but I just, because it's really important that people understand that in monogamy, that perceived sense of safety, that you don't have to 
go out and make new connections, mm-hmm. you know, you're not, you, you don't feel that sense of, I don't know, what's com- risk. That, that, the risk, right? Exactly. You don't feel that same sense of risk, mm-hmm. right? I, I personally, I, I think I've only been on one date where I felt physically unsafe. Mm-hmm. And I've been on a lot of dates, right? So I can't speak to what that feels like yeah. every single time. Like I, uh, but but what I can do is I can make make it so that when I am interacting with the the people that I'm on the date with, that I'm doing everything I can to make sure they feel safe, right? And, and that's a fine balance too, right? I want to show up authentically, and I want to make sure that the people I'm connecting with feel safe with me. Mm-hmm. Those two things are equally important. Yeah. So anyway, so I we digress a little bit. Point is, is that. That exclusivity mm-hmm. bit and that perceived idea of safety and security goes out the window when you're in a non-monogamous relationship. Yeah. And that's and I say non-monogamous and not consensually or ethically non-monogamous because that's the truth. Even if you're doing it unethically mm-hmm. or non-consensually, that safety bit still goes out the window. And some might say that if you're if you're if you're lying to yourself and to the people in your life about your monogamy then maybe you're even putting them at more risk, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. So I, I just, just consider that, right? Just when you're thinking about your life and the decisions that you're making and stuff, there's no judgment here. It's just a matter of taking a look at, are you willing to step into that energy and start the grieving process of what you thought you were as opposed to who you really are? Mm, yeah. I think that's a huge part of this, right? Like we can't sort of skip over identity grief. Like we had an identity, a feeling of status and belonging and comfort, Mm -hmm. safety. And that identity of life partner, um, you know, spouse, whatever the the terminology is. Wife, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. We, we attach to that and grief over an identity is pretty significant and can be challenging to let go of or to move through, not let go of. We don't really let go of grief. We, we shift grief. <laughs> yeah, we, we move through. Actually, a, a, a good example for those that are mono that are listening, um, a, a good example might be um, empty nest syndrome, mm-hmm. right? You're grieving the identity of being a parent full time. Yeah. Right. And so you're losing that. You're not yet. Yeah, you're shifting into a different identity as an empty nester. Mm-hmm. You're still a parent. Like there's still that role. Yeah. But it's a different type of parenting now. It's a different type of relationship. And we, you and me, we can both speak to this intimately because we've experienced it. And mm-hmm. so you're shifting into that different role. Right. You're not a full time parent anymore. And while a lot of us or some of us may have looked forward to that for quite some time, when it actually happens, it's definitely you, there is a grieving process yeah. that you need to go through because you're, you're grieving the identity of, of being a mom yeah, or grieving the identity of being a father and what that looks like. And then or you, rent you, if you don't have a gender assigned to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Rent. I've never heard that before. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's a hundred of them that people are coming up with now. So it's, yeah, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, some sort of parent, because Mm -hmm. that identity has changed and shifted and it's frankly changed and shifted through no fault of your own. It's just part of life. It's part of the process. It's one of the little deaths that we experience in life. Yeah. Right. And then we metamorphosize into something different, into something, you know, 
uh, we shift into something different. Yeah. What you're saying here is also helpful in terms of like, and I was saying shift and, you know, metamorph and all these terms are, we're bringing them up in mindful ways to keep us on track with both accepting reality and, and not spiraling into huge negativity Mm -hmm. around reality. The other piece about the exclusivity is the I'm not enough piece, right? That everybody, well, not everybody, but many people that I know have experienced lots of clients that I've spoken to and friends, the I'm not enough script runs hard. It runs fast. It runs 24 Mm seven. As soon as you're confronted with my formerly monogamous partner wants to see other people too. There's something else interesting too in this. That idea of not being enough happens even in poly relationships when your partner has a new meta. Yes. Because it can happen. Because let's say, for instance, you <clears throat> you and your, your, your partner, your nesting partner, however you identify them, um, you, have a, you have another partner, but they don't currently. And they go for six months without having another partner. Mm-hmm. You, you, adele- you, you, you develop a routine, you develop a structure, you develop a dynamic for that six months, even though it's not something necessarily that, that you want, it's just the way life goes. But then all of a sudden, that partner then has a new partner, right? And they're engaging in new relationship energy and all of the stuff that comes along with that. For me personally, I've dealt with grieving what I thought or hoped or whatever was going to be a much longer experience. Because again, there's a safety in that, right? And then all of a sudden, I'm not enough. The situation is that you were dating. Yeah. So, yeah. So let me, so nesting partner, two, two nesting partners. Okay. And then one of them has another partner. Yeah. But the other one does not. Okay. And so you go along that way for six months, three months, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You develop a routine. Right. In that, in that dynamic, the right? comfort, the comfort of regularity the comfort, or the, whatever, the comfort yeah. of regularity. And then all of a sudden that partner who's not partnered currently finds another partner. Mm-hmm. It disrupts the routine and it disrupts the comfort. Yeah. And part of the yeah. disruption is the grieving, the small, tiny death of what was for that three or six month time frame. Right. So what you're talking about is about a, a hinge of a V, yeah. the person at the, yep. at the hinge, the joining point, yep. um, suddenly no longer having the exclusivity of a, of a partner over here on one, on, mm-hmm. on one arm who is monogamous to them. Right. Even if it's just actively monogamous, not, not identifying as monogamous, right? So they're exactly or situationally monogamous, just because you know, life yeah. circumstances and <laughs> yeah. stuff. But but yeah, but the point is, is that I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that these these little deaths happen often, and we don't often recognize them as they're mm-hmm. happening. So mm-hmm. that narrative of I'm not enough might not be happening for you right now because there's a level of security in there for you in your structure, or safety or mm-hmm. exclusivity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Once that's gone, even if you've got another partner or two other partners. Once that exclusivity bit is gone, that can shake your foundation a little bit. I just have to add something, Kate. This just occurred to me. So we've talked, you and I, about um, polysaturation levels, right? Which is where yes. you've, got, you've got the maximum number of partners that you want or can manage reasonably. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your, your, your partner <laughs> might have a preference for your 
saturation level. So it might be like, I'm good with two partners. My partner is good with me having two partners. But as soon as I add a third one, my partner now is again in that sort of grief state of like, oh, wow, like I'm okay not being enough. I'm okay if you need another person, maybe two, but three, <laughs> you know, like it's like, holy Hannah. Um, so the perceptions and the interpretations and the story that you attach to that information starts a grief cycle for you. Yes. Right. Right. So exactly. even these little, these little adjustments that happen mm -hmm. where it's, right. you know, we're both polyamorous and functioning as polyamorous people, but the addition of new partners creates that. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. I think it's just really important to understand that this is an ongoing process. Yes. And that each yeah. time your relationship dynamic shifts or your partner's relation or one of your partner's relationships shift, there's a grieving process that somebody is going through. Right. Right. And, and I'm not saying this is true for everybody because, you know, that's important to understand, but not everybody experiences this. Mm -hmm. Some people don't, and that's fine, but we're talking to those that do. Yeah. Well, and the idea of um, intimacy, right? When I get into a bad headspace, I, I run a movie about what I imagine you're doing with someone else, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's very well lit, by the way. <laughs> is it well acted at least <laughs> yeah and i can okay. see all the details um all right so and you talked to me about that at one point in our relationship when i was when i was dating other people remember mm -hmm. and yep. uh and you said what you did was pull down the screen and let it snap up like no mm -hmm. i don't want to watch that right yep that even that little snippet of what i imagine can hang on and replay and come up out of nowhere, or if I'm feeling a little bit insecure or weak or tired or hungry, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like, Oh, it just, yeah. I still see the image from that. Mm -hmm. Even that moment that I saw before I snapped the screen up and went, no, no, I don't want to, I don't want to watch. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah. When I'm, when I'm overwhelmed or, or dealing with other stressors too, these little griefs happen more. Mm -hmm. Right. For sure. What do you say we move on to the next one, which is mononormative programming? Sure. Talk to me. Tell me your <laughs> Specifically experience. Specifically the messaging. So for those of us that grew up monogamous, right? And, and, and I think we're all subjected to the same level of, of programming. It's just how it lands for you. Or maybe not. I don't know. So the mononormative programming that says that true love looks like this. Mm. Man and woman or partner and partner. And that's it. Releasing that fairy tale. Releasing that idea that that's the perfection of relationship, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So, and they lived happily ever after. Yeah. And it's always seen to be a dyad for two people. Yeah. It's problematic, so, you know, when, when there's lack of representation for any group. And, mm -hmm. you know, even the, the stories that we do see often and badly for people where there's been, there's been a, a triad or there's been a, you know, uh, somebody who gives their blessing to their partner to go have other partners. It seems like often in whatever representation we do have, it's not great messaging either. So we're not no, really I've getting seen a few. I've seen a couple. Um, have you? Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, yeah. Um, I, nothing comes to mind now, of course, now that I've said it, but 
Yeah, there's there's been a few recently that have come up that have been uh, good examples of how how poly and non-monogamy can work. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, anyway, you're right. The majority of the programming has the majority of the programs that deal with that deal with that in a very kind of almost I won't say vilify it. They definitely make it sound like it's it's not something that you want to strive to be. Right. And we get the opposite messaging about monogamy, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. I'm, I have the radio on in my car sometimes. I don't know how many diamond commercials I hear. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. all about a Give your true energy. love, the diamond that she'll love. Oh my right? God, from yeah. February to June. Like, <laughs> in my head, I'm like, which one? Yeah, <laughs> right? right? Who do I propose to? So, yeah. And along with that comes the piece of status. So that feeling of having the status of being the only one, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, we, we identify with that. We really right. love that sometimes, even if we're okay with our partner doing this and we want it for ourselves. I, I married you before we opened up again. You know that, right? <laughs> you mm-hmm. noticed. Did you see what I was doing there? <laughs> mm-hmm. I was vying for status. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that with Jessica Fern in a previous episode about how structure relationship structure, if we're too dependent on that, we're not secure enough in ourselves. Mm-hmm. That was me. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. absolutely. I absolutely needed a ring on your finger. And I wasn't kidding about that. A ring on your finger. Cause you were like, I don't really wear rings, <laughs> but mm. now you are. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it gives me that little tingle of now he's wearing a ring for me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I won. <laughs> Got a point, <laughs> right? Like it's, it does bring up that sense of I'm losing something. Even as a wife, I don't get to retain all that that means in what, what we consider our normal society's view of wife. Right. Right. So you're grieving, you're grieving the monopoly of your partner's time, energy, and resources as well. Yeah. In that oh God. Too. Well, that's a whole other beast. <laughs> there was, there was a time when we were very like uh, on a schedule, like you said, we were comfortable in our schedule and things got mm-hmm. very shaken up as we opened up, mm-hmm. you know, um, as more uh, people came into our world, we had to divvy up time. And we had to look at how much energy do we have for this particular activity after Mm -hmm. this one, right? Mm -hmm. So (laughs) we're not going to plan back-to-back date nights necessarily. Like also we're in our fifties. So (laughs) (laughs) that time is 1030, (laughs) (laughs) maybe 1130 on a late night. So, (laughs) you know, energy is a problem. I'm recovering from post-concussion syndrome. I still have to nap every afternoon. Who Mm -hmm. does that unless they're sick or, you know, (laughs) right? Like me, I do because my brain is injured and that has to be part of my schedule and I can't compromise on that, but something has to give in the schedule and it's going to be from the time that you and I spend together as Mm -hmm. nesting partners, right? Right. And also the time that you spend with yourself. Oh, that's the worst, right? Like you just get to the point where you're like, okay, gotta go. Oh, okay, gotta go. Oh, 
yeah. I gotta yeah. go. I mean, if you're not careful, if you're not careful, you can certainly get to that point. For me personally, my experience is is that I need that time to myself, and so I make it a priority. Um, Everybody does, though. That's the thing. Even if you're not well, an introvert, you still need that time to recharge to tend to your relationship with yourself. Right. Exactly. So grieving the fact that we don't like in a, in a dyad, like in a traditional dyad marriage or relationship, mm-hmm. you know, you've got the two people and then you may have friends and stuff, mm-hmm. but you still, it's, it's more socially acceptable to, to find that time for yourself yeah. with friends, you know, like, like, I think there's definitely a shift there that happens for sure. In those cases, other than, you know, the very gendered boys night out or girls night out, right? We also have a feeling of entitlement to belonging, right? Like we're going to make friends together. We're going to meet each other's friends, Mm -hmm. which isn't always the case for other partners, right? Right. Um, Depending upon how you practice poly, yeah. Right. And so even coming into a relationship as a poly person with another poly person, you are very well aware of a shared schedule (laughs) Mm -hmm. and some friends that you may not meet if you're practicing parallel poly at all right Mm -hmm. i think that's maybe why people are drawn to kitchen table poly it seems easier but i'm just going to say we'll do a podcast on it there's a lot of complexities that go along with that as well you know you you do have to be mindful of i don't have a monopoly on their extra time Mm -hmm. and that's actually a really healthy place to be i think for anyone in any relationship, we shouldn't feel like just because we're in a relationship, we get all of your extra time. Exactly. And just because somebody's not doing something doesn't mean that they're obligated to do something with you. Right. Downtime is real and it's necessary and it's part of our relationships with ourselves. So it's so real for me. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. I think we got very, very good at it through COVID um, because we were, we were in each other's faces all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but that's right. where it really galvanized for me that this is great time, you know? Yeah. Exactly. And that became exactly. my time, which was really helpful for my right. relationship with my. And some say, some might say that it gave you permission to, to show up for yourself that way. hundred percent. Right. I would say that. Okay. Cool. <laughs> cool. The socially accepted part of monogamy is really appealing. It's appealing to me and I'm, I identify as ambiamorous so I can be comfortable in a monogamous relationship or a polyamorous relationship to a degree. But for me, it also means that I'm uncomfortable in any relationship because there's something that I want that I'm not getting. So I'm, I'm pretty well aware of my (laughs) mononormative programming and what I value about monogamy. And for me, one of the things that became very important in my life and is less so now, but was very important was being seen as normal, socially acceptable, um, sort of in that ideal that is, is common or well um, established. There's a comfort in that. And when you're on the fringe of that normalcy and you're not that anymore, there's a discomfort that comes with that for some people. For me, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. It's interesting because I feel the exact opposite of that. <laughs> I feel, I do. I feel right? like being on the fringe is make, makes me happier. I don't, 
I don't, I don't think I've ever grieved the idea of this part of the socially accepted bit of monogamy. Yeah. Um, I kind of like being the outlier. I think you also enjoyed parts of yourself, including like being a musician, all kinds of parts um, mm. that were a bit different to mm-hmm. have, you know, that sense of I'm not, I'm not a conformist. I mean, yeah. I mean, just everything down to the way I look and present, right. Yeah. You know, like I'm 53 years old and I still have fucking earrings. Like, come on, grow up, Greg, you know, like I love the <laughs> earrings. Don't grow up. <laughs> Me too. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying I love them as well. Yeah. But they're definitely part of that sort of outlier image, yeah. right. That I, that I don't want to fit in. I don't want to conform yeah. and non-monogamy is another one of those non-conforming things for me. Yeah. Though I will say that even at the beginning of my journey, I still grieved that. I still grieved the idea that you know, people were calling me, you know, just a cheater. And so it became it became pretty laborious. Is that the word? Laborious. Laborious. Sure. Laborious. Yeah. Laborious to to try to explain to people that that's not what it's about. And I guess yeah. that's part of the reason we do the work that we do now, is because we're trying mm. to tell people that it isn't that. And that that is a misperception, a, miscommun- a, a, a misconception of what, what consensual non-monogamy is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I used to get called a player all the time, or some people would say, well, you're not really interested in deep emotional commitments. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. At the time, I wasn't. I thought I was, but I wasn't, because yeah. I was using poly as a way to actually distance myself from that intimacy. Until I was able to do the work, there was still that bit about grieving not being able to fit in Mm -hmm. right even though i don't want to fit in (laughs) even though i go out of my way oftentimes to not fit in Mm -hmm. i still wanted to fit in right well a sense of belonging is actually really um fundamental to most human beings because you know evolutionarily we would not have survived without uh a tribe right Mm -hmm. or a group to belong to that were looking out for us and helping us survive so yeah interesting hey right um go ahead go ahead no you i was gonna say monogamy is easier for people to understand it totally is i'm always conflicted about how to navigate the outside world in regard to being seen with a uh, another partner Mm -hmm. right we're a very well-known couple we have a lot of people in the city that that we'll run into from time to time. And so, you know, I, more so I've, you than me, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're known as uh, Mr. Million, Leanne Million's husband, right? Uh, so. <laughs> in certain communities, that's certainly true. <laughs> so, but the thing is, is that I've always been kind of conflicted about, do I use just their name? Do I say, this is my boyfriend, my partner, my lover? What, what is, do I need a definition? Maybe I'll just stick with the name. Um, <laughs> kind of always all over the map. Whereas when I'm out with you, this is my husband, Greg, it's very simple, right? I don't have to worry about perception. So what are you grieving in that situation? Simplicity, predictability, comfort. So you're grieving, you're grieving the comfort that you thought you would always have. Yeah. I think it's just that I get stressed out. I get anxious. I fear criticism. I've, I have received criticism, right? As a, as a poly person, um, many times in my life, since I started in my twenties, my first marriage, 
people said very, very harsh things about that decision to open up, even though in my first marriage, it wasn't even my, my offering. I didn't bring it to the table. My husband did. But the thing is, is that people perceived it as very negative because we were this, you know, idyllic couple that, that people rallied around and went to the wedding of and were happy for. And then they hear this. Oh my gosh, how could we do this to them? Right. <laughs> Isn't it weird? It's like this kind of, you're doing it to me, even though I'm not in the relationship thing that happens with society. Mm-hmm. It is very weird. Yeah. So I was, I was just interested to find out what you were grieving in that situation, because I think it really is the comfort and the, yeah. the, the comf- comfortability, if that's a word, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't love, you know, the idea of being anxiously worrying about perceptions or about acceptance or about simplicity or, you know, I always thought that relationship escalator <laughs> was going to get me to that state of contentment and bliss mm-hmm. and ease. And I'll, I'll be honest, this life that we have entered into mindfully and intentionally is not easy. It is not easy. No, no it's not. It opens us up to all kinds of heartbreak and, and, constant releases or reframing or redefining or questioning with other people. Um, and even within our own marriage, right. right. <laughs> I'm losing ease and comfort. Yeah. Right. Right. Interesting. Yeah. I never really thought I'll... about that <laughs> till now. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a lot of work. There's no doubt about it. It's a lot of work. Um, the scheduling alone. Yeah. It's just this, yeah, how did people do it before Google Calendars? That's I don't what know. I it's ridiculous. Boy, I was one of the people that did it before Google Calendars. It wasn't easy. Lots of, lots of. Oh wait, I thought you were anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Which still happens, weirdly enough. So um, I, I think the other one too is the loss of status. Uh, you know, why be married if it doesn't mean anything? I remember going on a date with somebody, and they asked me, "So if you're Polly, why did you get married?" Yeah. Right. I wrote a blog piece about that. Go check it out at leannemillion.com because of this question. Go ahead. Right. right. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not going to answer the question from my own perspective because that's not what this is about. But the point is, is that's a perception that people have is why, why get married? So you're, so the grief there, the grieving part is the, the part of that loss of status. Like the marriage doesn't mean anything to anybody else, but you and I. Well, and the perception is, I think the marriage doesn't mean anything at all. Right. That's what I mean. It doesn't mean anything to other people. Yeah. But it means something to us still. But I don't even know that they wrap their heads around that. I think that's why they're asking the question. Like, right, right, right. What's the point of being married if you're not going to be faithful? I don't understand that. Why would you bother? Uh, well, and don't get me started to? on the word faithful. <laughs> don't get me started yeah. on the word okay. faithful. I know. That's but a that's whole the, other opera. The, that's the kind of conversations that we're having. Right. And it's, it's, again, it's not easy sometimes to kind of feel uh, that you can explain it sufficiently or want to even. Yeah. I think I've reached a point where I just don't really give a fuck. I don't, (laughs) I don't, I don't explain it anymore. I'm just like, it's, it's my life. It's the, what the, the choices and decisions that I've made. And I'm happy to have an intelligent conversation with you that doesn't revolve around judgment. Right. You know? um, I mean, yeah. if you want to be curious, that's different. But being judgy is not okay. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. And so I kind of, I think I've reached that point. And even that process was a grieving, grieving the idea that I needed to give a shit about what people thought of me. Right. You know, yeah. And you know? I'm, I'm stepping more and more into that as I, as mm-hmm. I experience our relationship. Right. Um, well, not just, but not just our relationship, but all relationships. No, I mean, since we've begun this journey, which oh, okay. w- ca- came in conjunction with our relationship beginning, because I was monogamous before that um, oh, I see. Okay. for a long time and polyamorous before that, and then monogamous before that, and then polyamorous before <laughs> that, but whatever. Uh, right. <laughs> it's been a bit of a ride <laughs> in this version, Leanne 97.0, it has been a very interesting sort of reflection as I'm moving through it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were talking about comfort earlier in terms of predictability. And we were talking about comfort even before that in terms of safety. This is about um, being able to relax about your appearance, about your mm-hmm. relationship, about your communication. Um, when you're in a long-term relationship, there's a sense of comfort that comes with kind of complacency Mm -hmm. maybe that's not the right word but it's that sense of i don't really have to work at this anymore who am i going to impress it's okay i can just show up how i show up now there is some freedom in that and that's great and also there's some slippery slopes in there where we stop working on ourselves we stop working on the relationship we just take it for granted that it's always going to be there and we don't try anymore right Right. And so when, so when, so you're in a mono relationship and you're in that space of complacency where you've intentionally or unintentionally just sort of stopped doing the growth bit that relationships require, your partner comes to you and says, Hey, guess what? I'm Polly. Yeah. You're grieving what you thought was going to be this complacency. You're grieving what you thought was this level of comfort an acceptance yep. and understanding that your partner had of who you were. And now we circle back into all of the other things that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. The, the, the narrative about not being enough and all of this other stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think it's really important to understand that, that even though we're doing this in list style, these are all interconnected. Oh, totally. Yeah. They all happen almost simultaneously. And that's what makes it, that's what can make it oftentimes overwhelming for people is, you know, you're losing friends, you're losing family members where you feel like you're losing these people anyway, you know, and and these relationships, all of this shifting and changing, it's like tectonic plates are just, you know, just like, like nothing feels, nothing feels secure. Nothing feels solid Solid. during those times. And a big reason for that is because of this idea of grieving. You thought something was going to be a certain way for the rest of your life. And now all of a sudden it's not just like when my brother died, I thought my brother was always going to be there for me. Right. And then all of a sudden he wasn't. Yeah. It's a very, and I actually get goosebumps when I say that because it's a very similar experience. Yep. Even if you're the one that wants to be Polly, Mm -hmm. you're still grieving all of those things that you thought were going to be. Mm-hmm. Once you realize, holy fuck, I'm Polly. That can be such a weird experience because you're almost in co- constant conflict, right? I want to need this and I'm grieving and I want to need this and I'm grieving, right? Mm-hmm. So 
when we're, when we're choosing or we identify as poly and we step into that, sometimes other people, uh, even a, a monogamous partner, they don't understand that conflict is real mm-hmm. and it can feel overwhelming and debilitating and put us into fight, fight, flee. <laughs> I don't know, what is it? Yeah. Yeah. Flight, the fight, yeah. freeze or fawn. Freeze That's or what fawn. it is. Yeah. Right. It can put us into our sort of reptilian survivalist kind of thinking, um, mm. shut us down. It can do all kinds of weird emotional stuff as we're grappling mm-hmm. with those two things. Right. Um, and, and I guess what I, for me personally, what I came to is a place of, you know, that acceptance of the holding space for both at the same time. Right. And that it's okay right. to, to sort of almost toggle between being excited about polyamory and, and grieving monogamy. Right. If that's your experience, if that's not your experience, that's fine too. But again, just to reiterate, we're speaking about and to those people who have experienced something similar in this and letting you know that it's okay to to be able to, in in fact, I would go a step further and say that it's perfectly healthy to hold both of those things as being true. Yeah. Right. Because in the case of us, I mean, I, I didn't drag you kicking and screaming into Polly, but I was certainly... I was certainly the driver of that for a short period of time, right? Because of some decisions and some unconscious behaviors and stuff that I had. So, so even though I was the driver of it, I still struggled with the idea that I I still had to grieve what I thought was going to be my monogamous marriage to you. I was done with all of that. Mm -hmm. And guess what? I wasn't done with any of it. Right. Mm -hmm. I had just put it down for a little while. Right. right. And it's important, I think, for us to acknowledge our grief, move through it, sit with it, journal about it, you know, listen to some sad monogamous songs, whatever we need to do to help ourselves see it and, and, right. and spend time with it rather than shelving it, sitting on it, repressing it, because then it comes out in little sort of sharp ways. Like we're, we're poking mm-hmm. at our partner or we're, abusing ourselves or, you know, yeah, yeah, we start overeating, over indulging in whatever substances we are disconnecting or we're protecting Mm -hmm. because we're not dealing with the grief. We're not saying, hi, grief. I see you. You're part of me and this experience. Right. 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 We're, we're self-soothing in harmful ways. Yeah. I'm reminded of the death card in a tarot deck. And I remember the first time I ever saw the death card come up in a tarot deck. This Mm -hmm. was years and years and years ago, uh, before Polly, before any of that. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, fuck, I'm dead. But the way it was explained to me was that the death card can actually be a good thing. Because for any new beginning to happen, you must have a death. Mm -hmm. You must, something must die. And from the ashes of that death comes these new beginnings. Mm-hmm. And I've held on to that, that reframe of death um, for, for since then, for, for so long. And I think ultimately that's what we're talking about here is honoring the death bit, honoring the grief, honoring the emotions and the, and the feelings that come up 
when something that you thought was going to be a certain way is no longer that way. Right. 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 And again, it doesn't matter if you're the person that's instigated it or, or initiated it rather, or if you're the person that is sort of being swept up in it Mm -hmm. because this is something that you feel like you have to do in order to stay with your partner or whatever your, your, your narrative is around that. Right. I hope it's not that. Well, but sometimes it is. Um, I know. And if that's the case, reach out. We'll help you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We're here to help. And, yeah. and reach out. We'll help you with any of this because we've yeah. been through it personally. We have tools that we can use to, to help you process and work through these emotions and really, really start to acknowledge and accept them for what they are and the purpose that they serve. Mm-hmm. Because this grieving process serves a purpose. You cannot yeah. have these new beginnings without these small deaths. Right. So I kind of wish I would have said that at the top. <laughs> but Well, and, anyway. you know, grief is part of life. We mm-hmm. have a life cycle. We have a, we have a death cycle in all elements around us. It's, it's intrinsic to our human nature. But we are so uncomfortable about it. We don't know mm-hmm. much about how to communicate about it. Right. You know, so if you're struggling, I think, I think the idea is to say out loud to the, your loved ones, I mean, I, I'm grieving some stuff. I might need some yeah. time. I might need, I might need to, to do something nice for myself. That's healthy. Yeah. Go shopping. No, oh, retail healthy. therapy is also a substance. <laughs> do a little, do a little, you know, <laughs> not a lot. Go buy one record instead of 10, you know. Right. Anyway, okay. yeah. So the next yeah. one actually kind of goes with the loss of status, in my opinion, loss of territory, right? The space and things that you're sharing with Meta's um occurs uh, it doesn't matter if you're in a ktp or a communal situation or in a parallel situation or you well and even in a solo poly situation i guess too you can still have this experience right okay wait stop uh, there we're gonna have to catch some people up with some terminology maybe so a meta okay. is a partner that is it is your partner's partner so it is mm-hmm. someone that you're connected to through someone else but you may not have a direct connection or you may mm-hmm. um so that's your meta and then parallel poly, we mentioned it before, is when you are dating separately, but you are a couple, but you have your own partners that don't meet or don't interact or minimally interact. Mm-hmm. And then kitchen table poly is where everybody's friendly enough to sit around the kitchen table and have dinner together, for example, um, maybe on a fairly regular basis, maybe even all the time, maybe you live together. So that's kitchen mm-hmm. table. Um, and then there was one more after that. Do you remember? Um Oh, gosh. I said communal, but that's KTP. Yeah, no, I, I, I can't remember. But I'll see it in the, in the solo? replay. Solo, that was it, solo poly. So solo poly is where you are on your own as an individual. You're not part of a couple and you're polyamorous. So just catching people It's also up. important to understand that you can be solo poly and be married. Right. You can be solo poly if you're married to a monogamous partner and your and your monogamous partner wants nothing to do with poly, isn't interested in it, and they want to stay monogamous, then technically you can be solo poly. Right. So just, a, just, and please, and if anybody hears this and wants to correct me, please feel free to like, it's <laughs> challenging, but anyway, you know, yeah. that's my understanding of, of that's our understanding rather of, of what those terms mean. So. So what I want to say is, is that, you know, 
sharing your space, your things, um, events, um, you know, uh, restaurants, things that you thought were yours. Your territory. Your Your territory, right? It's literally a loss of territory. What, you took them to that restaurant? That was our restaurant. (laughs) Right. Right? Yeah. That's a little death that happens. Yeah. Right. It's a little tiny death that happens because, again, you are mourning the pro- the thought of what you thought was always going to be. You're mourning the process or the the idea that something was always going to be a certain way. That's right. Right. Yeah. So that's ultimately what what this comes down to and your space, your things, your car, for instance. Right. You and I had a conversation recently about this. You know, some people. Some people are okay sharing cars and some people are not. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's just really a question of, you know, shared space, bedrooms, um, you know, that invasion feeling that happens sometimes with people where it's like this, you know, I wasn't home and somebody was going through my kitchen drawers. (laughs) I I had a client tell me that once that they felt like their space was invaded by this person that they had very little information about. And it really freaked them out. Right. And so we started by looking at the grief process. What are you, you're grieving the loss of that, that personal space for you. Yeah. Again, there's that predictability, right? Like I can predict that everything's going to be in that kitchen drawer the same way I put it there when I come back, unless right. it's been my partner who had. <laughs> and lunch, imagine right? your surprise when it's not, it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. You know, right. where's the, honey, where are the, where are the tongs? Right. You know, you like put the tongs, honey. I didn't move the tongs. Did you, did you do something weird with the tongs? <laughs> right. You know, did you clean them afterwards at least? And some people so come yeah, to so, agreements around those things. They, they put right. those in their relationship agreements, you know, like mm-hmm. a, a popular one is like, we won't have other partners in our bed. Right. So we have Sorry. a bed that is our bed. All right. We won't use tongs with other partners. Right. Got it. <laughs> yeah, don't. Oh. <laughs> Oh, that's a whole other, that's a whole other episode, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The next one is the legal and societal support. So, you know, Mm -hmm. we can get married, but we can't marry another person now. Right. That's illegal. Yeah. And you've got a, you've got a, you've got some clients that are going through something like this too. Well, and in this particular situation, it's a triad situation. And, um, you know, the idea that, a legal sort of structure would serve a purpose to help the person who's newer to the the group um, feel more comfortable makes total sense especially to me as you know I'm I'm very high on the relationship structure reliance (laughs) (laughs) we just covered that so I understand that you know that desire to be recognized and get that status right I think it's important too you mentioned that the newer person maybe there are three people that are connecting together simultaneously. But at some point, those three people are going to have to make a decision if they want to be legal about it. Mm-hmm. And one of the three is not going to be able to marry the other two. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. That's something to consider, right? And even common yeah. law doesn't. We have common law here in Canada, and it doesn't include that either. No. And then right. there's other pieces, like if we have kids together people might want to be adopting those children but there are roadblocks because they already have two legal parents that can't be adopted that Mm -hmm. kind of thing right yeah yeah and you actually mentioned in here child custody work issues like those are all sort of part of that societal structure thing right 
you know, right. Like, you, can I, can I take bring to the Christmas party for, you know, the company Christmas party, you know, who do you, into you who do you take to the company picnics? Like, yeah. how do you explain that you're taking two or three or 10 people to these events? Right. And, and frankly, in most cases, my understanding is, is you don't do that. Yeah. You take the, whoever would be considered your nesting partner in that situation. Especially you know? if you fear loss of job because right. of your relationship structure. Right. And they already know that you're married and now you've yeah. got this poly bit to, to tack on to that, right? If you're, if you're in fear of losing your job because of it, again, there's that grief and that grief is actually kind of compounded now because now you're grieving the fact that you can't be as public about it as you might want to be. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's, it's like we said earlier, this is all interconnected. Like it's mm -hmm. not all just one thing, even though we're listing it out. Um, I think we're sort of pulling on the thread to see, what we can discover here. And maybe there's stuff in here that maybe there's stuff that we haven't discovered or haven't talked about so far. We've got a few other points to cover, but, but if there is other experiences out there that you've had around grieving, what you thought was always going to be a certain way, you know, whether you're the initiator or not, you know, please feel free to comment, to reach out or let us know or whatever. Yeah. So we would love would to love hear your personal experiences around this. Yeah. We'd love that feedback. This next one I really like because this next one is kind of a, a real motivator for me in the work that we do. This mm -hmm. idea of stepping off the relationship escalator and going, okay, so now I'm poly or I'm, I'm CNM in some form, consensually non-monogamous in some form. So now what the fuck do I do? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. There's no, Matt. you know, because it is so, um, uh, because it is so, it's so much of an outlier status. There's not a whole lot of information that's readily available. Well, there are some good books, you know. Yeah. Um, well, definitely, we, but we it's not like you can just. Yeah, but it's not like you see it everywhere, like you do with mono no. relationships, right? So you do have to do some searching, and then the other questions, the curiosity that you get is, what do I want or need from these relationships? If it's not about the typical next steps, right? And those mm -hmm. are important, right? Because maybe those typical next steps aren't going to serve you any longer, but what does serve you? Right. right? Just because you know what doesn't serve you doesn't necessarily mean that you have clarity around what does serve you. <laughs> and shameless plug, we can help you with that. Yeah. In fact, that's the primary focus of the work that we do is yeah. helping people understand what serves them and how they can show up and be their most authentic self and be empowered in their connections, not only with other people, but with themselves. Right. So that's the, that's sort of the crux, the foundation of the work that we do. Right. So, yeah. And that's maybe why I love this one so much, but I also love it because I've struggled with this myself. I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm Polly. Now, what do I do? Do I go out and fuck everything that moves or what happens? What do I want? You know what, like, how do I want to do this? I don't know. And frankly, making mistakes happens, making, making quote unquote mistakes and finding your way through is and maybe I'm going to get a shit ton of backlash for this, but it's okay because yeah. it's how we learn. Yeah. You can't expect somebody who's never experienced this and who is grieving the loss of what they thought would be the rest of their life to get it right all the fucking time. You just can't. Yeah. And to ask that of an individual is, is unreasonable in my opinion. And frankly, it's irresponsible because it doesn't allow for the humanness of the experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it Apparently can be hard when feelings about this. <laughs> I think you do. Um, it can be hard when you're <clears throat> grieving too, right. Mm -hmm. To see someone else and recognize that they're grieving. 
Um, so it's good to talk about it, to say, I'm grieving. Are you like, what are the things you're grieving? These are the things I'm grieving, you know, like have that discussion so -hmm. that it's on the table and you're more aware, you know, you can, you can help each other through it as compassionate partners to one another. You don't have to dismiss each other's feelings as non-existent because you don't know about them. If you're talking about them, you get that information, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Yeah. You want to handle the next one? Yeah. So the vision of the future. So (laughs) a vision of the future, I'm grieving the vision of, you were just talking about that, what you thought was going to be the rest of your life, but it starts for many people quite young. I think for me, it started around four, right? As soon as I went to a wedding, I was like, goal. (laughs) And I accomplished that four times, by the way. Thank you very much. (laughs) Type A personality. Um, (laughs) I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it many times over. Yeah. Marriage is like a golf score. I think the lower it is, (laughs) the more. You have four um, too. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) I do, which is why I don't golf. So um, when you're, when you're thinking about that vision, it isn't just a vision that you had this week, this year, this, you know, decade. Sometimes it's a vision that you've held on to for a very long time and you've seen yourself in it and you've, you've made up stories about it. You've attached to it. So it can be a really hard detaching that has to take place there as you're grieving it, you know? And like, we went through a little bit of that when we were talking about, Hey, we're always going to be on the rocking porch together, which is our joke because we Mm -hmm. got it wrong when we were trying to say rocking chair on the porch. We said rocking porch anyway. So that's our little thing, right? We're going to do that with each other. Mm -hmm. We're going to grow old together and be on, on the, on the porch in our rocking chairs. And then we opened up (laughs) and for a while we were hierarchical. So that was still there. That was that vision Mm -hmm. never wavered. It was still there. And then feelings were developed for other people questions started to pop up you know and it became how big is that porch (laughs) can i can i have another chair over on the other side of me yeah is that okay can we do that you know so we it shifted the picture Mm -hmm. so it's still there it's just a bigger porch with more chairs. Right. Possibly. Possibly, right. Right. And that's something else too to understand is, is that you, you mentioned that, you know, when you were four years old, you went to your first wedding and you were like, you know, life goals, hashtag life goals. <laughs> um, I think from my, my personal experience, I was taught that part of being a man meant providing for your family. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and that was a very mononormative way of looking at things, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, you get married, you have two and a half children and you, you know, move into a house with the, with the white picket fence and the perfect yard and the perfect job and, and the, you know, keeping up with the Joneses bit and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And while it never really resonated with me, I still wanted it because I thought that's what everybody wanted of me. And so uh-huh. I had to grieve this idea that that's what everybody not everybody but most of society looks at 
as what is a good man. You know, a good man does this, this, and this, right? Success. Success, exactly. Mm. Right. And so that's what success looks like. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's not what success ever looked like for me, ever. Mm -hmm. And so I had to grieve that loss of status going back to what we talked about earlier. But like you with the wedding, it was me watching, you know, shows when I was a little kid about successful you know, you know, businessmen or scientists or yeah. superheroes or whatever it was, right? And they, you know, finding the love of their life and living happily ever after and being a man providing for them, right? And what I come to find out is what I actually want is I want partners who are able to provide for themselves. Right. Right. And not ask that of me. Right. And so I had to grieve that process of that. Does that make me less of a man? because I don't want to provide for my partners. Maybe there's some of that happening for you, whoever's listening or somebody that, you know, maybe mm-hmm. you're one of your partners or whatever might be going through something similar right now and metamorphosizing into a different identity of what it means to be a man. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you're losing, you've got that, that vision of the future of what you thought was going to be. And that has to change now. Yeah. Whether you like it or not, it has to change, right? Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of things that support that in our mononormative programming. And when we talk about that, we're talking about everything from the films we watch, the conversations we have over coffee or over here in the street or see on television or uh, hear our music lyrics, right? I mean, music is just full of it. I mean, just like everywhere in Every song. So much so that I've tried to build a poly list a couple of times, poly playlist for music. And it's so hard to do because even the songs that start out sounding like they're poly turn out to be about cheating. And I'm like, fuck. I know. I know. Or like I have a poly CNM list because Mm -hmm. there's still sort of that, that music genre that really embraces the sexual aspect, the sexual connection Mm -hmm. without commitment necessarily right. Right? right so i got kind of a mix but it's it's really hard to find those poly-friendly songs and a lot of right. them are fairly generic you know mm-hmm. like one of my favorites is just about freedom like <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure it wasn't written for me in this situation but it applies and so it does <laughs> it does it so does. i listen to that as part of my list is that is that the independent with you song yes no 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 there's another one uh, don't be afraid of your freedom. I can't remember. Mm. I'll, I'll, I'll put it in the notes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it all goes to creating that vision of what we thought the future was going to be mm-hmm. based upon that mononormative programming. Yeah. Yeah. And then once you discover that you're poly, oh, you're like, oh, fuck. Now what? Now what do I do? Now where do I look for that? I have to find a different community of people in order to to be able to feel that same level of communal comfort, right? Right. We just went for coffee with somebody who said, I don't have anybody in my life who understands this life that I want to lead. Mm-hmm. I need right. to talk to you, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, right. I get it. Exactly. Cool. So the last one is um, loss of ability to focus on one person. So you have to now consider the needs of your meta and your other partners um, and that can be everything from time, energy, and resources to uh, feelings and emotional reactions about decisions that you're wanting to make, right? Mm-hmm. And 
we talk a lot about being a compassionate partner because it's a value that we both share and we are not of the mind, you know, that we can do whatever we want to do in, in whatever manner without concern for others. Right. So that's mm-hmm. our approach to our relationships. Um, and that's what we, that's what I encourage with my clients. I personally value the ability to have focus, which means for me, my polysaturation point is pretty low. It's pretty mm-hmm. low, I think, you know, like I like to, to have maybe an online relationship and a local relationship and a relationship with you. And that's it, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, cause I'm, at that point I'm taxed. I'm, I, I don't have, I might have more love to give, but I don't have necessarily the opportunity or the time, energy and resources. Yeah. Cool. Or even the bandwidth to consider other people's needs. Right. Yeah. Cause there's still that relationship with yourself in there. Oh yeah. That's right. <laughs> no, you're right. That's true. Yeah. Cause we always have to like consider our, our metabolic capacity, mm-hmm. you know, even in, on an emotional and energetic level, what is our capacity? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. For sure. So self-care, what should we do? We're in grief. What's, what should we do? Oh, wow. Okay. Honor it. Acknowledge it. Don't try to ignore it. Um, and how can you honor and acknowledge it? Well, I think first thing you could do is when you feel those, those feelings come up, the sadness around losing what you thought was going to be, I think talking about it is a really good way to process it and to, to, to honor it. Mm-hmm. So speaking about it to the people that matter, that need to know about it, um, because it does impact how you show up in those relationships and the people around you might not always be aware of that. Especially so if they're going through the same thing. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Communication. I mean, you know, things like journaling is all, those, those are always great tools. Journaling is always a great tool for, for uh, self-care um recording if you're not a great writer if you don't love to write right yeah we i think most of us now have cell phones that we can record on so yeah absolutely mm-hmm. um or get yourself a tape recorder or whatever I, I think simple things like taking time for yourself um mm-hmm. making sure that you carve out time for for you whether that means that you're and, and it's not it's not just like sort of numb out space out time. It's intentional mm. time, right? To do the things that you enjoy doing by yourself, you know, whether that's exercise, whether that's maybe listening to some music, um, intentionally listening to certain songs that would create a shift in your energy. While also, you could also you know put together a grieving playlist, you know, yeah. so that you can sit with those feelings, right? Yeah. Um, music is a huge, huge tool for me in my life in processing stuff. Um, as you would know, if you were uh, following me on Spotify by all the playlists that I have. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's what comes up to the top. I'm sure I'm missing some stuff. Any other ideas? Uh, connecting with nature. Mm, yeah. Animals. <laughs> if you have access to animals, they have cat cafes now, if you're not allergic. So I would say, uh, you know, once you've sat with it and expressed it, uh, then it's time to use your body because the body Mm -hmm. is a natural processing machine. It does its job if we let it. And we are the most stagnant that we've ever been in our lives physically. So, you know, like dogs will shake off an encounter with a, a scary animal. They'll just literally shake themselves 
to change the energy, right? So we need to do the same thing. So dance, walk, swim, shake, shake. Yeah. Do embodiment practices, work out, um, bike, do whatever you can do to get the blood pumping and your limbs moving, even if it's just for 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. because that 10 minutes shifts so much in your body that you're not even aware of physiologically, mentally, and emotionally. So do the thing, you know, like, like say, okay, I'm in grief. Now I'm going to sit with it. I'm going to listen to the songs. I'm going to do, have the hot bath. I'm going to, you know, do the nice, get a nice massage, do the things that are comforting, eat the nice soup, (laughs) whatever the comforting thing is, you know, I'm going to avoid the overindulgence in liquor, drugs, sex, shopping, um, gambling, social media, social media. I'm going to really try to tend to, to myself in a healthy way mm-hmm. and get moving. And then I would say re-engage with your life to help stop any kind of um, hyper-focus that you might have on your grief, right? right? So we need to do the process and then we need to release and it's continual. It's this kind of like, I'm in it, I'm in it, I'm in it, I release, right? Each time you do it, your window of tolerance gets a little bit bigger. So you're able to handle it easier. You're able to, you're less reactive to it. It doesn't, right. doesn't feel as overwhelming, those types of things. Yeah. You'd also mention tapping at some point, not here today, but, but also as one of the other self-care things that you can do. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Um, you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say that we're going to create a course called Shift Your Script, and that mm. will be taught in that course. So um, stay tuned. We'll, as soon as it's up and running, we'll be talking about it on the podcast mm-hmm. and letting people know where they can find it and, uh, putting it up in our Facebook group, empowered Polly relationship support and advice. So if you would like to join our Facebook group and stay in the know, you can do that. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, definitely it's not going to be, um, only about tapping. It's going to be about a series of things that you can do for yourself as yeah. well as, the nature of emotions and how to understand them and uh, using your own self to shift out of that negative spiral by taking mm-hmm. responsibility for what's yours to own. Yeah. And that, that, that shift your script course will also work with grief. It will help you to understand Absolutely. grieving. It'll help you to understand your role in the grief process and how you got there and then how you can, shift it and reframe it and process through it. So it yeah. works for anything really. Not yeah, it's just... a very powerful course, actually. Uh, we're yeah. almost done. So yeah, we're almost It'll done. We're done. excited to get it out there to the world. So it'll be out soon. So do we feel like this is a good place to leave this? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I do want to say one of the things sort of in closing, and it's a bit of a repeat of what I said earlier, but one of the things that, that, that I would hope that the people that are listening to this will understand is, is that it's okay to have these feelings and it's okay to not want those feelings. And it's okay to express and vocalize and get them out of you as opposed to trying to continue to stuff them down because you're afraid you're going to be a burden to somebody or because you don't know how, or because you're afraid you're going to make an ass of yourself or whatever the, the fear of not expressing those are please know that it is okay to do it in a healthy and effective way. That doesn't include lashing out. That doesn't include 
uh, being violent or being mm-hmm. dismissive or, or disrespectful to the people around you. But what it can include is honesty and authenticity mm-hmm. and being honest with how you feel, right? And in the receiving of this information as well as the other person to create that safe space for your partner to be able to do right. this. Work, right. Because right? it's not because because it's not about you. Yeah. You know, even if you're the one that feels like you're responsible for it, because you're the one that wants to be poly and your partner doesn't. It's still not about you. You're still entitled as a as a person who's shifting into a poly relationship or a poly identity. You're entitled to have that experience just as much as the person that that wants to stay mono is entitled to have that experience. Right. And neither one of those experiences have anything to do with each other. They can be separate while you're still connected. Right. And that's going to be our next episode. Oh, there you go. The mono nice relationship. Yay. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing a little bit of a dance for those of you that are listening and can't <laughs> see. And you're probably better off not being able to see the little dance. But anyway, okay. And remember, choose love. And keep it kind. We'd love to hear your comments, questions, or topic suggestions, and don't forget to subscribe. And you're invited to join our Facebook group, Empowered Poly Relationships Support and Advice. You can reach out to us on our websites at gregmillion.com and at leannemillion.com or follow us on Instagram at thegregmillion and at leannemillion.